Good evening and welcome to Mouthful, smart talk about food, wine, farming, and many other things here on KRCB-FM. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you've had a good weekend. Did you go to the Harvest Fair? I just realized we didn't even talk about the Harvest Fair um, this year on Mouthful, but, you know, we don't have to cover the same thing every year. Um, And, you know, we'll see. I I think we might do something, though. I think we might do a post-game wrap-up and see how the Harvest Fair went this year. There have been a lot of changes to it, Um, a lot of changes in focus, a lot of changes in activities. Um, If you didn't get there, or even if you did, I hope you had a chance to get to some farmer's markets. Um, It's a really glorious time of year right now in Sonoma County. Our farms are still so abundant. Um, several farms have gorgeous tomatoes right now. Everybody who grows peppers has an abundance of peppers. There's still uh, summer squash right there next to the winter squash. Um, the eggs, the hens are indeed still laying, so there are plenty of eggs. There'll be a slowdown sometime in the next few months. But um, it really is the very best place to um, get almost everything that you need to eat. Now, our guest this evening is a very special guest, and, you know, a couple years ago, I might have even thought he was twins or triplets, because I've known at least two Mark Greens and three Mark Greens. He was on Mouthful a few years ago talking about um, there was going to be a dinner, a Titanic memorial dinner, and we talked about that, and then later I was in talking to Mark about something. Oh, I know. Mark does this annual um, Elizabeth Siddle uh, Memorial Cemetery picnic, and it's just so wonderful. And she, of course, was one of um, the most gorgeous of the pre-Raphaelite models. I love pre-Raphaelite painting. And I was like, oh, you're the same person. You know, I think I even told Mark that I think you should meet this guy who did the Titanic thing. And it was him. And then there are, and now Mark is also the, I believe, development director of Food for Thought, which we feature here on Mouthful usually a couple times a year. So he's a man of many hats, one of which, the one right on top now, is author. You have... Your first book that you've written, because you've contributed to other books, right? That's right. Yes. yes. But so, this is the first one that's got mine as the author. How does it feel? feels wonderful. Do you wrap I, it up in a baby blanket and take it outside in a stroller? I still haven't held a <gasps> physical copy of oh my the gosh. book. They're that's, on order. They're coming. That's such a moment. That is I, such I, a I'm moment. I'm so looking forward to it. <laughs> Tell us the title. The title is Atheopaganism, An Earth-Honoring Path Rooted in Science. I love the title. Thank you. And in reading the uh, promotional literature, I loved the sentence that began, An Atheist Since Birth. 
Yes, that's in my biography in the book. Um, it's true. Um, I believe we're all born atheists, and then we get taught various traditions, and we adopt those or we don't adopt them, depending on uh, our own personal proclivities. Um, and fam- I, I would think family proclivities as well. Well, sure, but... Um, as sort of a side note, even even if your family is very adamantly religious, mm-hmm. what we're finding now is that even in evangelical families, in order for two people in the next generation to maintain evangelical faith, they have to have six kids. Really? Yes, because the other four will drop out. They will not continue being evangelical Christians. That's very interesting. And the reason I said fa- I mentioned that is I was, uh, and I am a local atheist. Um, I was talking with somebody several years ago and we were speculating about why people just follow along with these beliefs that stemmed from a long time ago before there were scientific explanations. And her theory was it's like imprinting, like like little uh, signets, you know, trod after their swan Uh parents and they imprint, and that was her explanation. So I've had that in the back of my head. Well, we're gonna talk about all that, about what religion is and what its function is. Um, The journey that led me to writing this book forced me through examining those kinds of questions. What is a religion? Why does every culture in the world have one? Clearly, there must have been some evolutionarily competitive advantage to societies that had shared spiritual beliefs and practices. So these are all things that I observed, um, but I should go back and tell the story from the beginning. Okay. Um, This story really starts um, when I was in junior high school. I was in middle school, and it suddenly came to my attention that there were all these buildings around and that people were going to them on Sundays. Um, that so just, can, can we assume that you were not raised in a religious household? No, I was not. I was raised in a scientific household. Okay. My father's a geologist. My mother's an RN. And where was this? Um, in Davis, mostly. Oh, okay. I was born in Southern California, but okay. I grew up in Davis. Um, the, I wouldn't say that I was raised as an atheist because the whole question of whether there was a God or not was never even raised. There was no discussion of it ever. It just seemed patently obvious we were scientists and we used the scientific method and we used credible evidence to make determinations about what the nature of the world is. And using that credible evidence, we decided that there were no invisible people with magical powers. That was that was the conclusion that we drew. Mm -hmm. So. It was kind of a shock to me in junior high when I suddenly realized, well, my goodness, these people are going to these buildings and they're giving people money to talk to them about these invisible people with magical powers. So by the time, so skip forward until I'm in my mid-20s, and I'm comfortable being an atheist, and it's not anything that I think about very much. Mm -hmm. I'm not like a sort of Dawkins new atheist who's, you know, all about trashing religion. Even evangelical atheists? Yes. It's just, (laughs) it's just not in my mind. And a friend of mine for reasons that I have never understood, invited me to an autumnal equinox circle that was being held by his pagan circle. I don't know why I agreed to go, and I don't know why he invited me to go in the first place, but I went. And there was a lot about it that was very uncomfortable for me, standing in a circle holding hands, talking to invisible presences, drumming and dancing. Um, 
there was a lot about it that seemed really, it made me feel awkward. Mm -hmm. But I was also really captured by the meaning of noting this moment in time, that it was autumn, that the light was changing, that the, the plants were doing different things, that the, the birds were migrating. And I realized that even as an ardent environmentalist my whole life, I wasn't very connected with the rhythms of nature at all. Oh, that's very interesting. So that was enough to capture me, and then I went to another thing. And then I went to a big public ritual. And then I went to another thing, and six months later, I put a pentacle around my neck, and I started leading rituals, and I started calling myself a pagan. And all of this I understood as a life-enhancing metaphorical process. Mm -hmm. And many of the people that I talked with in that community shared that opinion. This is a this is something that we do kind of like reading a book or going to a movie. We suspend our disbelief and we go through this ritual, which is psychologically impactful for us. It helps us have a sense of place in the universe, a sense of meaning, and a feeling of community with one another, all of which are really valuable things for people to have, mm -hmm. right? So that was my understanding of it. And that went on for many years until around 2000. And the pagan community grew very rapidly in that period from the mid-80s until 2000. Um, floods of people, mostly leaving Christianity, particularly Mormonism and evangelical Christianity, mm -hmm. flooded into the pagan community, right. looking for different values, different kinds of um, practice, um, less authoritarianism, and for many of them looking for feminism uh, because these were heavily patriarchal religions that really oppressed women. Boy, so, that the truth? Yes, it is. So, unfortunately, what some of them brought with them was sort of the framework of Christianity, even though they weren't mm -hmm. being Christians anymore. Right. And the most important element of that was that what you believe became very important. That had not been true previously. There were people who believed in, you know, alien abductions and, and astrology and all kinds of stuff like that um, in the circles that I practiced in leading mm -hmm. up to that time. But it didn't matter. We were all together and we didn't ask each other what we believed. We, we all got benefit out of doing this together. Well, this new wave of people um, into the pagan community, many of whom called themselves devotional polytheists, started establishing these lines in the sand. Well, you can't be a pagan if you don't believe that blah, blah, blah. You really? have to believe in literal gods. You they do? aren't metaphors. They wow. aren't archetypes. That was the argument that these folks were making. And in 19, uh, sorry, 2004, I had two very difficult experiences wherein unethical and really inappropriate behavior was excused as the will of the gods. Are you going to tell those two stories? No. You won't? No. No? Okay. No. Uh, Do you tell them in the book? Uh, I don't, actually. I okay. don't go into details about them because, I don't know, somebody might sue me for libel uh, because these things never went to court or anything, but they reflect very badly on the people who did them. Okay. So these terrible things happen, and when confronted, oh, well, it's the will of the gods. And I quit. Of course. Good for you. I, I took off my it pentacle. Sounds very, much, sounds very much like a monotheistic religion, one of the three. Very much so. Um, 
So I took off my pinnacle and I let my altar gather dust and I stopped going to gatherings and I stopped seeing my friends. And then something really interesting happened. About six months later, I realized I was really unhappy. I missed all that stuff and I wanted to have it back in my life. And that got me thinking, well, okay, what is a religion? What functions does it perform? And is there a way to define a religion, the cosmology of which is science? Because as I analyzed what religions are, I determined that there were three pieces to every religion in the world. There's a cosmology, which mm -hmm. is a description of the nature of the world. Mm -hmm. There's a value set, which mm -hmm. is about what's important and sacred and how you should behave in mm -hmm. the world. And then there's a practice, which is rituals, holidays, observances, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. right? And I realized if I can take as the cosmology the, the, the current state of scientific understanding of the nature of the universe and then develop a value set that is consistent with my own heart and my own belief about what's right and wrong and what's important, I can then implement a set of practices that will build community, give me that feeling of place in the world, give me that feeling of meaning, and give me that feeling of connection to nature. And that's what atheopaganism is. Wow. <laughs> We're going to take a little musical break because I want you to digest that. But before we do, I want to tell you that if you have a question or a comment, we're not going to take them by phone, but you can go to Mouthful's Facebook page. I'm sorry that that means I'm excluding people who are not on Facebook, but that's the technology I have available to us right now. So Mouthful has a Facebook page, Mouthful Smart Talk about food, wine, and farming. I'm monitoring it right now. You can ask your question or make your comment and I will get it onto the air. Let's take a trip to examine this common basis of life, a voyage to investigate the molecular machinery at the heart of life on Earth. All life is related and it enables us to construct with confidence the complex tree that represents the history of life. Our planet, the Earth, is, as far as we know, unique in the universe. It contains life. Here, plants and animals proliferate in such numbers that we still have not even named all the different species. Darwin's great insight revolutionized the way in which we see the world. We now understand why there are so many different species. Every cell is a triumph of natural selection, and we're made of trillions of cells in us. The little universe, those are some of the things that molecules do. Given four billion years of evolution, we are, each of us, a multitude. Now, did the molecules of life arise. It began in the sea some 3,000 million years ago. Complex chemical molecules began to clump together. These were the seeds from which the tree of life developed. 
they were able to split, replicating themselves as bacteria. The secrets of evolution are time and death. There's an unbroken thread that stretches from those first cells to us. The secrets of evolution are time and death. There's an unbroken thread that stretches from those first cells to us. Every cell is a triumph of natural selection, and we're made of trillions of cells in us. The little universe. Those are some of the things that molecules do. Given four billion years of evolution, we are each of us a multitude. Isn't the sharp line dividing humans from the rest of the animal kingdom? It's a very wuzzy line. It's a very wuzzy line. It's getting wuzzier all the time. We find animals doing things that we, in our arrogance, used to think was just human. It's a very wuzzy line. It's getting wuzzier. All the time. Every cell is a triumph of natural selection, and we're made of trillions of cells in us. The little universe. Those are some of the things that molecules do. Given four billion years of evolution, we are each of us a multitude. Every cell is a triumph of natural selection, and we're made. Of trillions of cells in us, the little universe. Our planet, the Earth, is, as far as we know, unique in the universe. It contains life. Its continued survival now rests in our hands. Tell us what that music was, Mark. Oh, um, there's a there's a wonderful YouTube channel called Melody Sheep, and the uh, the the man does these sort of mashup dance beat things called Symphony of Science with quotes from physicists and Carl Sagan and evolutionary biologists and people like that about how amazing and wonderful the world is. Uh, and I really, I really enjoy them a lot, so I suggested cool. that we use those. Well, thank you. Before we go back to Mark talking about the book, I thought of a way to bring in listeners, perhaps in a more physical way, uh, because you talked about the connection to nature. Yes. And this is such a glorious time of year. Right now, this time of year, when... The Northern Hemisphere, of course, is shutting down for its renewal. Yes. It's Makahiki in Hawaii, in Hawaiian, if you, are, if you are Hawaiian, if you're involved in the study of Hawaiian culture, hula music, you know about Makahiki. It's going into the time of rest, and we might think of it as a harvest time, but I think that there's more of a focus on the winding down. Um, in Wicca, which I think comes out of paganism, but yes, it's not Wic that old. Wicca is is a flavor that fits uh, under the big umbrella of paganism. Pag that's what I thought, uh, and I like that's the big umbrella is the perfect analogy. And its time of year is I'm not sure how to say it. Chauvin. 
Oh, um, you're there's some, you're you know, it looks like Samhain. Yes. It, some people say Suwen. Sawan. Sawan. But yeah. in reading about it today, um, both of those pronunciation pronunciations are said to be incorrect by people who know Gaelic. And the one that I was found was, and that's what I don't, Shavin or Shav, it's S-H-A-V-I-N. Is, that was the most um, authoritative okay. uh, pronunciation. Okay. So it's the time of harvest. Yes. And it's a time of the earth getting ready for its winter sleep. And all you have to do is feel the air around you and look outside at the changing light to understand this part of what Mark's talking about. Yes, okay. it, exactly so. Um, the, that, that sense of connection becomes something that lives with you all the time. Last night I was sitting in my bed with the, with the window open behind me and this cascade of cool air falling down my back. And a great horned owl started hooting it sounded like immediately outside my window, and I was just so thrilled at the prospect. I'm, I'm in a relatively suburban neighborhood, but there was a great horned owl. That's wonderful. I was just stunned. It was wonderful. Um, those kinds of things become very exciting. And the ultimate point of atheopaganism is to be happy. It's to live life fully and, and richly and to contribute to a better world. Um, to be a good person and to be joyous and to really kind of wring all of the enjoyment out of life that we possibly can in a positive, healthy sort of way. So um, uh, I could talk more about what those values are, if you'd like, or we could go in a different direction. What would the different direction be? We could talk about practices and observances. Okay. Let, well, for now, let's stay a little bit on those values. Okay. Um, and let me ask a couple of questions because I, I'm going to play the listener sure. or the reader mm -hmm. um, to see if I'm on the right track. Um, it seems to me that Christianity, for example, um, is foundationally about a God and the things that have been told to us about this God. So that seems to be the foundation. It seems to me in paganism, and what I know of it, is it's more rooted in empathy. Am I off track with that? I don't think you are, but I think, I think there's, there's, that's a little bit of an apples and oranges comparison okay. there. Okay. I do think that in the pagan world, you see a great deal more empathy. And that's because the pagan world does not have the principle of sin. Mm. It doesn't have the principle mm -hmm. of original sin. The, the primary function, the, the work of being alive in Christianity is salvation. You are born with this original sin. I always forget that and part. You have, <laughs> and you have to clean that up. That's and right. That, that, you know, you're fundamentally marked in a negative way when you're born. And then you have to clean that up through a relationship with Jesus, right? That's right. Um, and what that tends to lead to is a real criticism of, well, we're the Jesus people, so we're good. Those aren't Jesus people, so they're bad. And... It, it tends to lead to a very adversarial kind mm -hmm. of relationship. And that all stems from the concept of original sin. It does. And just for people who might say, huh? <laughs> 
Please explain what the original sin of humans is supposed to have been. Uh, the original sin was Eve eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yes. Which and is a little bizarre when you think about it because not knowing the difference between good and evil is sociopathy. <laughs> yes. And it was a talking snake who got her to do yes, it. Yes. And is that also because it was Eve who supposedly ate it? Is that the source of the misogyny that runs through Christianity? I believe that it has a great deal to do with that. I mean, when we look into history, what we see is patriarchy dominating for thousands and thousands of mm -hmm. years, and the Hebrews and the subsequent Christians were no different. So um, I don't. I think they would have been misogynistic no matter what their mythology was. Okay. But it's. But their mythology upholds their misogyny, and mm -hmm. that's not cool to me yeah. um so the tell me the about the source of the values of paganism okay well this is very interesting because all i can tell you about is the source of my values sure now that analysis that i described earlier about what a religion is mm -hmm. theoretically you could have a religion the cosmology of which was science with a completely awful set of values and a, a practice that was some sort of neo-Nazi thing, theoretically, mm -hmm. right? But to me, these values that I've enshrined in this book are the way to be a good person and the way to be a happy person. And so that's what I have put in place. Um, there are four sacred pillars, the four, four things that are sacred in the universe. Um, not divine, because divinity is a magical kind of property. What's the difference between sacred and divine? The, the sacred is an opinion. We say this, okay, if I take two four by four pieces of lumber and I cross them at right angles, suddenly I've made a sacred object to the Christians, right? Okay. To me, it's just lumber. Okay. But, but the cross is a very sacred symbol gotcha. to, to folks who are Christian. So in my world, there are four sacred things, and they are life, meaning the biosphere, the mm -hmm. fabric of the ecosystem of the world from which we arose and which feeds us and gives us air to breathe, sustains us throughout our lives. Love, which is the balm that helps heal all wounds between people. Beauty, which is what gives us a sense of meaning and place and happiness in the world. And uh, truth, because what's true really matters. And this, this was something that I addressed in the book, because you could ask, well, what's, what's wrong with that? If people are you know, following these religions that aren't based in reality, who really cares? It makes them happy. And on the one hand, that's true. But it doesn't work for me, mm -hmm. because to me, the truth really matters. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a household full of lies. That may have something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Raised in a scientific household, but a house full of lies. Yeah. Uh, my father just, was a narcissist. Oh, dear. Okay. Gaslighting, Underst abusive kind Understood. of person. He was a very smart man and a great scientist, but he was not a very good person. Mm. So there you have it. From those four sacred things... I derived 13 principles, and they are as follows. Skepticism. I recognize that the metaphorical is not the literal. Reverence. I honor the earth which produced and sustains humanity. Gratitude. I am grateful for my life and its gifts. 
humility, I am humble. Perspective, I laugh a lot, including at myself. Praxis, I enact regular ritual in observance of my religion. Inclusiveness, I celebrate diversity and am respectful of difference. Legacy, I recognize and embrace my responsibility to the young and to future generations. Responsibility, I acknowledge that freedom is tempered by responsibility. Pleasure positive, and this is one place where we really diverge from the Abrahamic religions. I celebrate pleasure as inherently good as long as others are not harmed. Stuff that feels good is not sinful. It's good for you. It helps you be happy. And the final ones are curiosity. I understand that my knowledge is never complete, and so I'm all, there's always more to be learned. Integrity. I conduct myself with integrity in word and deed. And then finally, kindness and compassion. Because, among other things, no one is ever going to live up to all of these values, all, the t all these principles all the time. So we have to be kind and compassionate with people and as we work with them because everybody falls down. And those are the principles by which I live my life. And these arose from your own musings about what was important to you. Well, yes, but they're also rooted in the common value, many of the common values of the pagan community generally. Mm -hmm. Some of them not, like skepticism. And the pagan community is not very good about tempering freedom with responsibility. Mm. They're big into freedom, but mm -hmm. not so much about responsibility. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Tend to party a lot. Yes, that's um, that's been my observation. Yes. Um, and, of course, that varies widely from individual to individual, mm -hmm. so I don't want to tar brush a whole group of people, but mm -hmm. you, I do see a lot of that. And when you say pagan, paganism or the pagan community, what sort of community is that? Is it... Well, around here, there's a lot of people. Uh, it, but is there anything that connects, say, local pagans to pagans in Minnesota or France Borneo. There are national organizations, and okay. there are so there is a, okay. It is organized, not very much. Okay, what's more common is for community to kind of cross pollinate at events, like there's a large convention in San Jose every year called Pantheacon, which is the largest gather indoor gathering of pagans in North America, and it gathers about 2,500 people there every year. Mm -hmm. There are events that are as many as 5,000 people that are at campgrounds outdoors, like the Pagan Spirit Gathering and the Circle Sanctuary Gathering, um, uh, Rites of Spring. There are, there are many of these mm -hmm. uh, festivals. And people go and they camp and they do rituals and they socialize and they have a good time and they do workshops and they buy things from vendors. And uh, it's, they're, they're wonderful events, by and large. Mm -hmm. um, not to say that the pagan community doesn't have problems like any community does. Any community with, has problems. Yes, with, you know, people who are inappropriate and difficult. Some people, and some people want to take over. Some people have issues that they yes. need to express in groups. Some people want to control. Exactly. Some people are passive. Exactly. So, yeah, a group of humans yep, comes are, with a whole set of things. They are humans. <laughs> that said... What I find in the pagan community, generally speaking, is that people are aspiring to be better humans. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a core implicit 
understanding amongst many of the people that I see there is that they are aspiring to be their highest vision of themselves. And I have a lot of respect for that. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the things that I really missed when I stepped away. I really didn't want to lose people who were so so willing to work on themselves mm -hmm. as well as bright and creative and interesting and strange. I write in the, in the book about how the pagan community is filled with uh, a lot of Rudolphs, <laughs> a lot of, you know, people who have the shiny nose and uh, unusual characteristics and qualities and uh, people that know strange crafts like tatting and uh, beer brewing and uh, absinthe distilling and uh, I've had some of that absinthe I've made and some it's of that absinthe very very good isn't it good it's yes. outstanding yes that the particular person you're thinking of he and I um, learned to make it at the same time from the same guy I didn't know you also made it yes we need to talk okay we it's, should talk. The, the other one the one that I've had I haven't had yours is Quite possibly the best absinthe I've ever tasted. I and think that's it's saying something. very, very good. I've tasted probably 10 or 12 different wow. absinths. Wow. I, well, I've been on the absinthe train since before it became long before. When I was a, when I was a graduate student, oh. um, I tripped over Oscar Wilde and <laughs> I fell down an Oscar Wilde rabbit hole. And uh -huh. you, can't, you can't do that with, uh, and plus the pre-Raphaelites. Yes. Uh, you can't go very deep into either one of those things without soon encountering absinthe. That's right. That's so, right. Um, so, um, uh, well, I, okay. they're, they're very okay. interesting people mm -hmm. and, um, and warm people, kind people, heartfelt people, interesting, unusual people, uh, very large contingent of the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. because we're so tolerant. Mm -hmm. um, we embrace diversity. We don't see that there's anything wrong, different, strange, or or inappropriate about being gay or being asexual or being polyamorous, for example. There are a lot of polyamorous yes, people I've met in, a number in of the them. pagan community as well. Um, so the whole the whole sort of Abrahamic framework for how relationships are supposed to work and gender roles between men and women and people in between, the recognition that there are people in between, all of that is very different in the pagan community than it is in the, in the mainstream kind of Christian-informed mm -hmm. community. Interesting. Uh, we're going to take another musical break, give you time once again to ingest all that uh, Mark has said, and I'm going to try to make my um, Facebook page work so that we can, I know we have at least one comment or question, so we will be right back with our guest, the incredibly articulate and brilliant Mark Green. Thank you. Singing songs, but uh, here's, here's a try. Stars, a still more glorious dawn awaits us. 
measure elegant truths of exquisite interrelationships of the awesome machinery of nature. I believe our future depends powerfully on how well we understand this cosmos, in which we float like a boat of dust in the morning sky. But the brain does much more than just recollect. It intercompares, it synthesizes, it analyzes, it generates abstractions. The simplest thought, like the concept of the number one, has an elaborate logical underpinning. The brain has its own language for testing the structure and consistency of the world. A still more glorious dawn awaits, not a sunrise, but a galaxy rose. A morning filled with 400 billion suns, the rising of the Milky Way. The sky calls to us. If we do not destroy ourselves, we will one day venture to the stars. For thousands of years, people have wondered about the universe. Did it stretch out forever, or was there a limit? The big bang to black holes, from dark matter to a possible big crunch. Our image of the universe today is full of strange sounding ideas. How lucky we are to live in this time, the first moment in human history when we are, in fact, visiting other worlds. A still more glorious dawn awaits, not a sunrise, but a galaxy rose, a morning filled with 400 billion suns. The rising of the Milky Way. A still more glorious dawn awaits. Not a sunrise, but a galaxy rose. A morning filled with 400 billion suns. The rising of the Milky Way. Surface of the Earth. It's mouthful and... I'm afraid we're having a little bit of a te technical issue with our network, and so I'm going to do something that some people would tell me not to do, but I recognize the name of at least one person who would like to either ask a question or make a comment, and I trust her very much. So we just, we've gone through cosmology. Yes. We've talked about values. Yes. And now we're going to talk about practices. Great. But I want to start with a question. Okay. You lost your community your choice in what 2004 yes I, I stepped away have you recreate have you created a new community for yourself um two things happened one is that i returned to the community that i was already in oh you did okay and um and i found some i i found some some corners of the pagan community that struck me as very high integrity and really really clean, really good people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I'm spending my time now. No, and uh, is that community um, local? Uh, mostly in the East Bay, Okay, um, down in the Bay Area, but okay. some of the folks are up here. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm also part of a ritual circle that's been gathering for almost 30 years now. And that, where um, is that? Uh, we are far flung, uh, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, there are two of us in Sonoma County, two of us in Napa, two in Santa Cruz, and four in uh, the East Bay. Oh, interesting. So How often we, do you get together? We get together about every eight weeks. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, and unfortunately, you know, that 
involves burning fossil fuels, and we mm-hmm. try to carpool as much as we can. But um, they are my family. They are they are the dear dear people in my life, and I've uh, they're the people that I want around me when I die. That's one. That's wonderful that you've created that. That's really great. Tell me about the practices that you see as an essential part of your paganism. Okay. Um, there are three pieces that I'll talk about. The first is what I call a focus, which is an altar. I don't like the word altar because it seems to imply sacrifice or worship. So I just call it a focus instead. It's just okay. a word change. Um, and I do a daily observance at my focus um, at home. Uh, in the evening, I'll usually have candles burning on it. Um, sometimes I'll burn incense. I will change the seasonal symbols uh, depending on what time of year it is. So there are gourds on there right now, little pumpkins and gourds and so forth. There are things on that that are meaningful to me and have symbolic meaning. What part of the house is it in? It's in my room. Okay. Yeah. Um, the um, So there's there's that piece. The next piece is what I what we call the wheel of the year, which is sort of like what Wicca does. We do holiday observances on the equinoxes and solstices and on the midpoints between those. So uh, beginning of uh, winter solstice, beginning of February, spring equinox in March, May Day, uh, summer solstice, beginning of August, harvest time at the autumnal equinox, and then Hallows or Samhain, which is the, the mm-hmm. festival of death and endings at Halloween time. So those are the holidays that we celebrate. Um, uh, since starting in with this a few years ago, I've built a sizable online community. There's a Facebook group of Ethiopaganism uh, that has close to 1,600 members oh. now all mm-hmm. over the world. Um, and it's very active and has a lot of participation. And so we also do some online rituals, which is a little, oh, little tricky, but, um, but it's fun. Uh-huh. Here's what we're going to interrupt you. We have um, a pretty complex um, comment and question. Okay. Um, and it's from Ellen, who is a great supporter of KRCB. Wonderful. And a wonderful woman. Question about the cosmology of atheopaganism. Science is about what and how. How does atheopaganism grapple with the why of our existence? Is there something greater than just the drive for increasing complexity? Various people have had experiences that address this for themselves. How does atheopaganism include those personal experiences of, say, the transcendent? Ah, great question. Very good question. Um, Science is no good at answering the question of why other than physical causalities. And I think we have to make decisions for ourselves about why life is meaningful. There is no inherent meaning to life. There's just, as the, the writer suggested, the, the push to increasing complexity in the universe, which is what we see. Um, one of the reasons that I find um, the the more traditional religions to be really out of step with reality is that they posit this top-down organization of the world where there's like this big power and that makes smaller and smaller things. But in reality, we see the world boiling up from simple forms into more complex forms. And that's what the universe has been doing for the past 
14.3 billion years. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the answer to why we're here, I think everybody has to decide that for themselves. Mm -hmm. What I find meaningful is that I am a part, I am a sentient part of the universe. Mm -hmm. And I am able to look at the wonder of life on earth and the magnificence of the unfolding cosmos and actually understand that I am a part of that, that I come from that, that there are elements of exploded stars in my bones and that I belong here. Mm -hmm. Excellent. I hope that answered the question. It did for me. Okay. Uh, so back to practices. Uh, we've gone through focus. Yes. And, and then the ring of holidays around the course right, of and the, the year. Yes, the, okay, and the yes, holidays. Which is um, very much like Wicca. Wicca has a similar mm -hmm. round of holidays. I have different names for some of them because I don't use the Celtic names for any of them. Okay. I don't connect. I'm, I'm really quite clear that Ethiopaganism is something new. Okay. We're not drawing an ancient tradition forward. We're not mm -hmm. pretending that we're uh, recreating something from the past. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't make any sense to me, living in a Mediterranean climate on the coast of Northern California, to use names from the British Isles for my holidays. That makes sense. Okay. That makes sense. So um, there, there are those kinds of holiday observances. And then there are rituals that happen as necessary for events in life, whether they are funerals and memorials or naming ceremonies or uh, weddings or dissolution ceremonies or coming of age ceremonies for young people or um, going into elderhood uh, rituals for, uh, for older people. Um, all of those are important rites of passage and um, Obviously, you can't put those on a schedule. They just mm -hmm. they come along when the when the right time comes along mm -hmm. to do them, and so you design a ritual. Then, there in the book there is uh, an extensive section about designing rituals, how to do that, what what tends to bring humans into the ritual state, which is a kind of hyper present, glowing, liminal, transcendent state um, that many psychologists have referred to as flow. Um, it is, uh, and I think that that was the transcendent state that, that the, the writer was talking about. Um, those experiences are very powerful us, for us and meaningful for us. And in Ethiopaganism, we are seeking through ritual practice to bring those about for ourselves. But we don't make the mistake of believing that because we have an experience that it necessarily reflects reality. Mm -hmm. Um, the example that I like to use is um, when I'm driving down the freeway, I can look at a sign far, far away and I can read what it says. And then as I get closer, the letters all rearrange themselves to say something else. Mm -hmm. You know how that happens? Yep. It's because your brain's working with very little data and it's trying like crazy to find patterns. Humans mm -hmm. have this unbelievable ability to find patterns even where they don't exist. Mm, absolutely. Right? Yes. I carried my rabbit foot, therefore I won at the racetrack. Celebrity deaths always occur in threes. Yes, exactly. You know, and I'm always saying, that's because we impose that pattern. Precisely. So we are able to, our brains are very fallible. Um, we make mistakes all the time, but sometimes they're beautiful mistakes, like um, an experience of the universe communicating its wonder to us. Mm -hmm. um, that's our own brain talking to ourselves, and that's great because it's a very meaningful feeling. But that doesn't mean that 
there is actually a physical force in the universe that talks. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Oh, I'm totally with you. Okay. <laughs> All the way. No problem. This, you know, I'm. What, it's like a pig in mud right now. No, this is, you know, I. I've always been fascinated by cosmology and everything connected to it. And I've never been fully satisfied with anything that I've found. Um, though I probably come closest to being satisfied if I go in as far as I'm capable of going into quantum physics hmm. and uh, writers like Brian Greene. Mm -hmm. of the elegant universe and mm -hmm. the fabric of the universe. Yes. So I get and and some of the elements of brain science. Like I just read you probably read too within the last three or four weeks that scientists are now saying that the soul does not die with the body, that there is some form of memory consciousness like a little data card that is just absorbed back into the universe i'm going to disagree with you on that one okay i don't believe in a soul i don't know if i, I believe in that or not but i find the discussions about it very, very interesting. interesting super super interesting yeah 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 um one of the things that atheopaganism will not offer to people is a, a get out of death free card oh. I, and that i agree we, with completely we die and when we die, the information pattern in our brain dissolves into heat and radiates away from the body, and that's it. The personality is gone. And what I'm, about cellular memory? Uh, well, the cells rot too, so that wouldn't necessarily solve the problem. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm a monist as opposed to a dualist, so I don't believe that there is a ghost in the human machine. I believe it's all machine. Um, the, the illustration I like to use is of a very simple machine with a battery and a, a red light bulb. And when you hook that together, the machine is the brain. The red light is consciousness. Okay. Okay. Here's another question. Okay. Can you address the view of deities as metaphoric or symbolic of in internal states and conditions? I completely think that's true. There yes. you go. Um, particularly uh, because humans find it easiest to deal with other humans, so we like putting human faces on things, especially things that um, we feel we don't have control over, like death or weather or um, uh, a river or something like, you know, some, some powerful uh, material force, lightning. Mm -hmm. um, it's easier for us to imagine a, a lightning god in a in a human form and to relate to that verbally and ritually than it is for us to simply go, well, that's lightning doing its thing. We have no control over it. Um, let's just hunker down and hope we don't get hit. Interesting. Interesting. I think that was a great answer. And I hope um, our, our texter, Eric, I hope you were satisfied with that. Um, Let's go back to practices because I have a feeling you didn't get through all of them. No, I did. Oh, you did. I okay. did. I mean, we, I, I do rituals with my friends. Um, I'm, I'm part of a collective in the East Bay called the Spark Collective that gets together every month and does a particular kind of ritual in the East Bay. Um, when, when I'm called upon to do a wedding, which I am sometimes, or a funeral, then I will do those. I've been asked to do naming ceremonies for babies. Mm -hmm 
or um, passage into uh, adulthood ceremonies for young adults. So uh, ritual practice is a thing in my life. It's mm -hmm. a it's a, a life enhancing, meaning creating, community enhancing practice that I have. Okay. Well, we do not have very much time left. Um, and I want to talk about the book. But one question to satisfy me before that, how do other living creatures, animals of all kinds, how do those fit under that umbrella of paganism? Uh, well, that that's life. That's the fabric of life on Earth, and it's sacred. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you know, I was the executive director at Sonoma County Conservation Action exactly. for its first 10 years. Yes. I mean, I am an ardent environmentalist. Mm -hmm. and uh, I I'm just wondering, does that, then the, the idea of kindness and humility and that sort of thing, is that extended to embrace animal life? It is. And it is. protect it as much mm -hmm. as we can. It is. Now, that said, I also acknowledge the nature of the universe, which, the, mm -hmm. the nature of nature, which mm -hmm. is that it's red in tooth and claw. Yes. Things eat one okay. another. Yes, and it's, we eat it one is, another. It is the nature of things that they eat one another, and I don't have a problem with that, mm -hmm. although there are some things that I won't eat because they're so cruel or yes. un so unsustainable. Um, but overall, the, the environment is, it's us. Mm -hmm. It's us. We, we are part. You know, one of the things I've always had trouble with with Christianity is Christians tend to take themselves out of nature. They don't see, from what I could tell, especially I grew up, you know, with my mother dropping, still in her pajamas, dropping me off at Sunday school. Um, it seemed that there were humans and then there were animals in the natural world sure the bible says so yeah well, dominion says, over the animals yeah, this, exactly. this, this is all for you and um and i, I take and, issue with that too. and also that you, the important part isn't here it's heaven it's afterwards right? right the important part is afterwards so you can trash this place it doesn't make any difference and i right. have a real bone to pick with that so kind I. of theory i think more and more people do and that's a great note to end on i did but, want to oh. do one other thing which was to okay. read a poem okay but let me tell you what let's make the poem going out of the show okay let me ask you this question yes what is where is the best place for people to get your book I prefer that people order it from an independent bookstore like Copperfields. You can also order it at Barnes & Noble. Please don't but go to Amazon. People can go into Copperfields, not buy it off the shelf, but order it? They'd have to order it, yes. Okay. It, it, it's not on the shelf. So Barnes & Noble, or how much is it? It's nineteen ninety-five. Okay. And about how long does it take to get it once you order it? I don't know. Okay. Probably a couple of weeks. Okay. And is it available on either of those locations um, as... Uh, is it available electronically? Yes, it's available as an e-publication or Barnes and Noble Nook or Amazon Kindle. Okay, but you, okay, but you can do it at yes. Barnes and Noble. Excellent. Yes. So there you go. So we are going. To, I'm, we're going to say good night now. Meet me back here next Sunday when we focus on Petaluma. October is going to be a different month for a mouthful, and that I'm focusing on things like this and taking care of the earth and makahiki and harvest and. I just think it's a really important time to do that. So we're and we're going to go out with Mark Green reading a poem because this is ultimately a poetic practice. So this is called an atheopagan prayer. 
Praise to the wide-spinning world, unfolding each of all the destined tales compressed in the moment of your catastrophic birth, wide to the fluid expanse, blowing outward, kindling in stars and galaxies, in bright pools of Christmas-colored gas and cohering in marbles hot and cold, ringed, round, gray and red and gold and dun and blue, pure blue, the eye of a child spinning in a veil of air, warm island, home to us, kind beyond measure, the stones and trees, the round river flowing, sky to deepest chasm, salt and sweet. Praise to time, enormous and precious, and we with so little seeing our world go as it will, ruing and cheering with the treasured fading and the precious arriving, fear and wonder, fear and wonder always. Praise, O oh black expanse of mostly nothing, though you do not hear, you have no ear nor mind to hear. Praise, O oh inevitable, O oh mysterious, Praise and thanks be a wave expanding from this tiny temporary mouth, this tiny dot of world a bubble, a bubble going out forever, needing everything as it goes, all the great and infinitesimal, gracious and terrible, all the works of blessed being. May it be so, may it be so, may our hearts sing to say it is so. Thank you.